Chapter 11 Godliness Preserved A bruised reed shall he not break, and smoking flax shall he not quench, till he send forth judgment unto victory. Matthew 12.20 This text is spoken prophetically of Christ. He will not rejoice over the infirmities of his people. He will not crush grace in its infancy. I begin with the first, the bruised reed. Question. What is to be understood here by a reed? Answer. It is not to be taken literally, but spiritually. It is a rational reed, the spiritual part of man, the soul, which may well be compared to a reed because it is subject to weakness and shaking in this life until it grows up into a firm cedar in heaven. Question. What is meant by a bruised reed? Answer. A bruised reed is a soul humbled and bruised by the sense of sin. It weeps but does not despair. It is tossed upon the waves of fear, yet not without the anchor of hope. Question. What is meant by Christ not breaking this reed? Answer. The sense is that Christ will not discourage any mournful spirit who is in the pangs of the new birth. If the bruise of sin is felt, it will not be deadly. A bruised reed shall he not break. There is certainly an understatement in these words that he will not break the reed, for not only will he not break it, but he will bind up the bruised reed. He will comfort it. The purpose and meaning of the text is to show Christ's compassion to the poor dejected sinner who smites on his chest and will hardly lift up his eye for mercy. The heart of the Lord Jesus yearns for him. This bruised reed he will not break. There are two parts in the text. One, there is a supposition, a soul bruised in showing remorse, and two, a proposition, it will not be broken. Bruised Reed the bruised soul will not be broken. He bindeth up their wounds. Psalm 147.3 For this purpose, Christ received both his mission and his unction, that he might bind up the bruised soul. The Lord hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Isaiah 61.1 But why will Christ not break a bruised reed? out of the sweetness of his nature. The Lord is very pitiful, or full of compassion. James 5.11 He produces compassion in others, and is therefore called the Father of mercies. 2 Corinthians 1.3 And certainly he himself is not without compassion. When a poor soul is afflicted in spirit, God will not exercise harshness toward him, or some might think he had laid aside his own tender disposition. Accordingly, the Lord has always been most kind-hearted toward his bruised ones, just as the mother is most careful of her children who are weak and sick. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom. Isaiah 40, 11.
Those who have been spiritually bruised, who are weak and tender like lambs, Christ will carry in the arms of free grace. Jesus Christ will not break a bruised reed because a contrite heart is his sacrifice. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. Psalm 51.17 A bruised spirit sends forth tears, which are as precious wine. Psalm 56.8 A bruised soul is filled with holy desire and is love sick. Song of Solomon 2.5 and 5.8 Therefore, if a bruised reed has such virtue in it, Christ will not break it. No spices, when they are crushed, are as fragrant to us as a contrite spirit is to God. A bruised reed will not be broken because it so closely resembles Christ. Jesus Christ was once bruised on the cross. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. Isaiah 53.10 His hands and feet were bruised with the nails, and his side was bruised with the spear. A bruised reed resembles a bruised Savior. A bruised reed is a member of Christ, who, although he may be weak, Christ will not cut off, but will cherish it so much the more. Christ not breaking a bruised reed tacitly implies that he will break unbruised reeds. Those who were never touched with any trouble of spirit but live and die in unrepentance, are hard reeds, or even rocks. Christ will not break a bruised reed, but he will break a hard reed. Many people do not know what it is to be a bruised reed. They may be bruised outwardly by affliction, but they are not bruised for sin. They never knew what the pangs of the new birth meant. You will hear some people thank God that they were always quiet, that they never had any anxiety of spirit. These people thank God for the greatest curse. Those who are not bruised in repentance will be broken by the law and judgment. Those whose hearts would not break for sin will break with despair. There is nothing to be seen in hell except a pile of stones and a hammer. A pile of stones refers to hard hearts, and a hammer refers to God's power and justice, breaking them in pieces. By Christ not breaking a bruised reed, we see his gracious character, that he is full of kindness and compassion. Although he may bruise the soul for sin, he will not break it. The surgeon may pierce the body and make it bleed, but he will bind up the wound. As Christ has beams of majesty, so he has a heart of mercy. Christ has both the lion and the lamb in his coat of arms. He has the lion in respect to his fierceness to the wicked. Psalm 50:22, And the lamb in respect to his mildness to his people. His name is Jesus, a savior, and he is a healer. Malachi 4, 2. Christ made a salve from his own blood 
to heal a broken heart. Christ is the perfection of love. Someone says, If the sweetness of all flowers were in one flower, how sweet that flower would be! I say, How full of mercy is Christ, in whom all mercy meets! Christ has a skillful hand and a tender heart. A bruised reed shall he not break. Some people are so full of ostracism and cruelty as to add affliction to affliction, which is to lay more weight on a dying person. However, our Lord Jesus is a merciful and faithful high priest. Hebrews 2.17 He is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Hebrews 4.15 Every bruise of the soul goes to his heart. None refuse Christ except those who do not know him. He is love incarnate. He himself was bruised to heal those who are bruised. See then what encouragement there is here for faith. If Christ had said that he would break the bruised reed, then indeed there would be reason for despair. But when Christ said that he will not break a bruised reed, a door of hope is opened for humble, bruised souls. If we can say that we have been bruised for sin, why do we not believe? Why do we go languishing under our fears and discouragements, as if there were no mercy for us? Jesus Christ says that he healeth the broken in heart. Psalm 147.3 Unbelief says, No, he will not heal me. Christ says that he will cure the bruised soul. No, says unbelief, he will kill it. As unbelief takes away our comforts, so it tries to make the word of God void, as if all God's promises were merely forgeries or like blanks in a lottery. Has the Lord said that he will not break a bruised reed and can truth lie? Oh, what a sin unbelief is! Some people think it is dreadful to be among the number of drunkards, swearers, and the immoral and lustful. Let me tell you that it is no less dreadful to be among the number of unbelievers. Revelation 21.8 Unbelief is worse than any other sin because it brings God into suspicion with the creature. It robs him of the richest jewel of his crown which is his truth. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar. 1 John 5.10 Oh, then, let all humbled sinners go to Jesus Christ. Christ was bruised with desertion, so he could heal those who are bruised with sin. If you can show Christ your wounds and touch him by faith, you will be healed of all the wounds of your soul. If Christ will not break you, then do not distress yourself by despair. Application 1 Since Jesus Christ will not break a bruised reed, it reproves those who do what they can to break the bruised reed. These people are those who try to hinder the work of conversion in others. When they see people wounded and troubled for sin, they discourage them telling them that the Christian religion is an unpleasant, depressing thing, 
and that they had better return to their former pleasures. When an arrow of conviction is shot into their conscience, they pull it out again and will not allow the work of conviction to go forward. Thus, when the soul is almost bruised, they prevent it from bruising thoroughly. This is nothing else but people being devils to others. If to shed someone's blood makes a person guilty, what is it to damn someone's soul? Application 2. This text is a spiritual honeycomb, dropping consolation into all bruised hearts. Just as we provide smelling salts to someone who has fainted, so when sinners are bruised for their sins, I will give some refreshing healing tonic to revive them. This text is comforting to the poor soul who sits with Job among the ashes and is dejected in the sense of his unworthiness. The person says, I am unworthy of mercy. What am I that God would ever look on me? Those who have greater abilities and virtues might obtain a look from God, but I am unworthy. Does your unworthiness trouble you? What is more unworthy than a bruised reed? Yet there is a promise made to that condition. A bruised reed shall he not break. The promise is not made to the fig tree or the olive tree, which are fertile plants, but to the bruised reed. Although you are despicable in your own eyes, a poor, shattered reed, yet you may be glorious in the eyes of the Lord. Do not let your unworthiness discourage you. If you see yourself as vile, and you see Christ as precious, this promise is yours. Christ will not break you, but will bind up your wounds. Question. How will I know that I am savingly bruised? Answer. Did God ever bring you to your knees? Has your proud heart been humbled? Did you ever see yourself as a sinner and nothing but a sinner? Did you ever look upon Christ with a weeping eye? Did those tears drop from the eye of faith? This is gospel bruising. Can you say, Lord, although I do not see you, yet I love you? Although I am in the dark, yet I cast anchor? This is what it means to be a bruised reed. Objection 1. I fear that I am not bruised enough. Answer. It is hard to specify a proper measure to determine when a person is bruised enough or humbled enough. It is the same with the new birth as with the natural. Some women give birth with more pangs, and some with fewer. Do you want to know when you are bruised enough? You are bruised enough when your spirit is so troubled that you are willing to let go of those lusts that brought in the greatest influx of pleasure and delight. You have been bruised enough when you not only reject sin, but you are also disgusted with it. The medicine is strong enough when it has purged out the disease. The soul is bruised enough when the love of sin is purged out. Objection 2. I fear I am not bruised as I should be. My heart is so hard. Answer 1. We must distinguish between hardness of heart 
and a hard heart. The best heart may have some hardness, but even though there is some hardness in it, it is not a hard heart. Names are from the better part. If we come into a field that has weeds and wheat in it, we do not call it a field of weeds, but a wheat field. In the same way, even though there is hardness in the heart as well as softness, yet God, who judges by that part that is more excellent, looks upon it as a soft heart. Answer 2. There is much difference between the hardness in the heart of the wicked and that in the heart of the godly. The one is natural and the other is only accidental. The hardness in a wicked person is like the hardness of a stone, which is an innate and constant hardness. The hardness in a child of God is like the hardness of ice, which is quickly melted by the sun. God may have withdrawn his spirit at present, and consequently the heart is hard like ice. But let God's spirit, as the sun, return and shine upon the heart, and then it has a warm thaw, and it melts in love. Answer 3. Do you not grieve under your hardness? You sigh because you do not groan. You weep because of your lack of tears. The hard reed cannot weep. If you were not a bruised reed, all this weeping could not come from you. Objection 3. I am a barren reed. I bear no fruit, and therefore I fear that I will be broken. Answer. Gracious hearts are inclined to overlook the good that is in them. They can see the worm in the leaf, but not the fruit. Why do you say you are barren? If you are a bruised reed, you are not barren. The spiritual reed that is grafted into the true vine is fruitful. There is so much sap in Christ that all who are grafted into him bear fruit. Christ distills grace as drops of dew on the soul. I will be as the dew unto Israel. He shall grow as the lily. His branches shall spread, and his beauty shall be as the olive tree. Hosea 14, 5-6 The God who made the dry rod blossom will make the dry reed flourish. Smoking Flax I will now proceed to the second part of the text. Smoking flax shall he not quench. Matthew 12, 20 Question what is meant by smoke? Answer. By smoke is meant corruption. Smoke is offensive to the eye, so sin offends the pure eye of God. Question. What is meant by smoking flax? Answer. It means grace mingled with corruption. Just as there may be much smoke with a little fire, so there may be much corruption with a little grace. Question. What is meant by Christ not quenching the smoking flax? Answer. The meaning is that although there is only a spark of grace with much sin, Christ will not put out the spark. In the words, shall he not quench, there is a meaning that he will increase. Nothing is easier than to quench smoking flax. The least touch does it.
However, Christ will not quench it. He will not blow out the spark of grace, but will blow it up. He will increase it into a flame. He will make this smoking flax a shining light. A little grace mixed with much corruption will not be quenched. To illustrate this, I will show you, one, that a little grace is often mixed with much corruption. Two, that this little grace mixed with corruption will not be quenched. And three, the reasons that this is so. One, often in the godly, a little grace is mingled with much corruption. Lord, I believe. That showed some faith. Help thou mine unbelief. Mark 9.24. That showed that there was corruption mixed with it. There are interweavings of sin and grace in the best saints. There is a dark side with a light. There is much pride mixed with humility. There is much worldliness mixed with heavenliness. Grace in the godly has the savor of an old crab tree stock. In many of the regenerate, there is more corruption than grace. There is so much smoke that you can hardly discern any fire. There is so much distrust that you can hardly see any faith. There is so much angry emotion that you can hardly see any meekness. Jonah, an irritable prophet, quarreled with God and even tried to justify his irritation. I do well to be angry, even unto death. Jonah 4, 9. There was so much angry emotion that it was hard to see any grace. A Christian in this life is like a glass that has more froth than wine, or like a diseased body that has more sickness than health. It may humble the best people to consider how much corruption is intermixed with their grace. 2. This little grace mixed with much corruption will not be quenched. Smoking flax shall he not quench. The disciples' faith was small at first. All the disciples forsook him and fled. Matthew 26, 56. Here was smoking flax. But Christ did not quench that little grace. Rather, he cherished and energized it. Their faith afterward grew stronger, and they openly confessed Christ. Acts 4.29 This was the flaming flax. 2. Here are some reasons why Christ will not quench the smoking flax. Christ will not quench the smoking flax because this little light that is in the smoking flax has been produced by God. It comes from the Father of lights. James 1.17 And the Lord will not quench the work of His own grace. Everything by the instinct of nature will preserve its own. The hen that hatches her young will preserve and cherish them. She will not destroy them as soon as they are hatched. God who has put this tenderness into the creature to preserve its young, will much more cherish the work of his own spirit in the heart. Will he light the lamp of grace in the soul and then put it out? This would be neither for his interest nor for his honor. Christ will not quench the beginnings of grace because a little grace is precious as well as more grace. 
a small pearl is of value. Even if the pearl of faith is little, yet if it is a true pearl, it shines forth gloriously in God's eyes. A goldsmith takes account of the smallest filings of gold and will not throw them away. The apple of the eye is small, yet it is of great use. It can at once view a huge part of the heavens. A little faith can justify. A weak hand can tie the nuptial knot. A weak faith can unite to Christ as well as a strong faith. A little grace makes us like God. A copper penny bears the king's image on it as well as a gold coin. The least bit of grace bears God's image on it. And will God destroy his own image? When the temples in Greece were demolished, Xerxes caused the temple of Diana to be preserved because of the beauty of its structure. When God will destroy all the glory of the world and set it on fire, yet he will not destroy the littlest grace because it bears a print of his own likeness on it. That little spark in the smoking flax is a ray and beam of God's own glory. Christ will not quench the smoking flax because this little fight in the flax may grow bigger. Grace is compared to a grain of mustard seed. It is the least of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs and becometh a tree. Matthew 13, 32. The greatest grace was once little. The oak tree was once an acorn. The most renowned faith in the world was once in its spiritual infancy. The greatest flame of zeal was once only smoking flax. Grace, like the waters of the sanctuary, rises higher. Ezekiel 47, 1-3 If, then, the smallest embryo and seed of holiness is of a ripening and growing nature, the Lord will not allow it to be barren. Christ will not quench the smoking flax, because when he preserves a little light in a great deal of smoke, there the glory of his power shines forth. The trembling soul thinks it will be swallowed up by sin, but God preserves a little quantity of grace in the heart. He makes that spark prevail over corruption, as the fire from heaven licked up the water that was in the trench. 1 Kings 18.38 God gets himself a glorious name and carries away the trophies of honor. My strength is made perfect in weakness. 2 Corinthians 12.9 Notice the different dealings of God and people. People, because of a little smoke, will quench a great deal of light. But God, because of a great deal of smoke, will not quench a little light. It is the way of the world that if they see a little failure in someone, they will pass by and quench a great deal of worth because of that failure. It is our nature to amplify a little fault and diminish a great deal of virtue, to see the weaknesses and obscure the virtues of others. Just as we take more notice of the twinkling of a star than the shining of a star, we condemn others for their anger and zeal, but do not admire them for their piety. Because of a little smoke that we see in others, we quench much light.
God does not do that. He will not quench a little light because of a great deal of smoke. He sees the sincerity and overlooks many weaknesses. He cherishes the smallest sparks of grace, and he blows them gently with the breath of his spirit until they break forth into a flame. If Christ will not quench the smoking flax, then we must not quench the smoking flax in ourselves. If grace does not increase into so great a flame as we see in others, and we therefore conclude that we have no fire of the Spirit in us, that is to quench the smoking flax and to bear false witness against ourselves. Just as we must not believe what is false, so neither must we deny what is true. Just as fire may be hidden in the embers, so grace may be hidden under many infirmities of the soul. Some Christians are very skillful at accusing themselves for lack of grace, as if they had received a fee from Satan to plead for him against themselves. It is a great mistake to argue that one has no grace because of the weakness of one's grace. It is one thing to be weak in faith and another thing to lack faith. He whose eyesight is dim has defective sight, but he is not without sight. A little grace is grace, even if it is smothered under much corruption. If the least spark of grace will not be quenched, then it follows as a great truth that there is no falling from grace. If the least bit of grace would perish, then the smoking flax would be quenched. Grace may be shaken by fears and doubts, but it is not blown up by the roots. I admit that apparent grace may be lost. That wildfire may be blown out, but not real grace, for that is the fire of the Spirit's kindling. Grace may be dormant in the soul, but not dead, just as a person in a coma does not exert vital energy. Grace may be eclipsed, yet not extinguished. A Christian may lose his comfort, like a tree in autumn that has shed its fruit, but there is still sap in the vine, and the seed of God remains. 1 John 3, 9 Grace is a flower of eternity. This smoking flax cannot be quenched by affliction, but is like those trees Pliny writes about, trees growing in the Red Sea that stand immovable and even flourish, even though they are beaten by the waves and are sometimes covered with water. Grace is like a true radiant diamond that sparkles and cannot be broken. I confess that it is a matter of wonder that grace would not be completely annihilated especially if we consider two things. One, the malice of Satan. He is a malignant spirit and lays barriers in our way to heaven. The devil, with the wind of temptation, labors to blow out the spark of grace in our hearts. If this does not succeed, he stirs up wicked people and raises the militia of hell against us. What a wonder it is that this bright star of grace is not swept down by the tail of the dragon. Revelation 12, 4 2. 
the world of corruption in our hearts. Sin makes up the major part in a Christian. There is more sediment than purity in the best heart. The heart swarms with sin. What a great deal of pride and unbelief is in the soul. Is it not admirable that this lily of grace is able to grow among so many thorns? Song of Solomon 2, 2. It is as great a wonder that a little grace would be preserved in the midst of so much corruption as to see a candle burning in the sea and not extinguished. Although grace lives with so much difficulty, like the infant who struggles for breath, yet since it is born of God, it is immortal. Grace conflicting with corruption is like a ship tossed and beaten by the waves, yet it weathers the storm and at last gets to the desired haven. If grace would cease, how could this text be verified? Smoking flax shall he not quench. Question. But how is it that grace, even the smallest degree of it, is not quenched? Answer. It is from the mighty operation of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God, who is the source, continually inspires and awakens grace in the heart. He is at work every day in every believer. He pours in oil and keeps the lamp of grace burning. Grace is compared to a river of life. John 7:38. The river of grace can never be dried up, for the Spirit of God is the spring that feeds it. It is evident from the covenant of grace that the smoking flax cannot be quenched. The mountains shall depart, and the hills be removed. But my kindness shall not depart from thee, neither shall the covenant of my peace be removed, saith the Lord that hath mercy on thee. Isaiah 54.10 If we can completely fall from grace, how is it an immovable covenant? If grace dies and the smoking flax is quenched, how is our condition in Christ better than it was in Adam? The covenant of grace is called a better covenant. Hebrews 7.22 It is a better covenant than that which was made with Adam, not only because it has a better guarantor and contains better privileges, but because it has better conditions attached to it. It is ordered in all things and sure. 2 Samuel 23, 5. Those who are taken into the covenant will be like stars fixed in their orbit and will never fall away. If grace could die and be quenched, then it would not be a better covenant. Objection. We are told not to quench the Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19. Which implies that the grace of the Spirit may be lost and the smoking flax quenched. Answer. We must distinguish between the common work of the Spirit and His sanctifying work. The one may be quenched, but not the other. The common work of the Spirit is like a picture drawn upon the ice, which is soon spoiled. The sanctifying work is like a statue carved in gold, which endures. The gifts of the Spirit may be quenched, but not the grace. 
There is the enlightening of the Spirit and the anointing of the Spirit. The enlightening of the Spirit may fail, but the anointing of the Spirit abides. The anointing which ye have received of Him abideth in you. 1 John 2.27 The hypocrite's blaze goes out, but the true believer's spark lives and flourishes. The one is the light of a comet, which burns away and evaporates, and the other is the light of a star, which retains its luster. From all that has been said, let a saint of the Lord be persuaded to believe his privilege and pursue his duty. To believe his privilege. It is the incomparable and unparalleled happiness of a saint that his coal will not be quenched. 2 Samuel 14.7 That grace in his soul, which is small and weak, will not die, but will recover its strength and increase with the increase of God. The Lord will make the smoking flax a burning lamp. It would be very sad for a Christian to be continually going back and forth, one day a member of Christ, and the next day a limb of Satan, one day to have grace shine in his soul, and the next day to have his light put out in obscurity. This would ruin a Christian's comfort and break asunder the golden chain of salvation. But be assured, O Christian, that he who has begun a good work will ripen it into perfection. Philippians 1, 6 Christ will send forth judgment unto victory. He will make grace victorious over all opposing corruption. If grace would end up perishing, what would become of the smoking flax? How would the title of finisher of our faith, Hebrews 12, 2, properly be given to Christ? Objection There is no question that this is an undoubted privilege to those who are smoking flax and have even the smallest beginnings of grace. But I fear I am not smoking flax. I cannot see the light of grace in myself. Answer So that I may comfort the smoking flax, I will ask you why you dispute against yourself. What makes you think that you have no grace? I believe you have more than you would be willing to part with. You value grace above the gold of Ophir. How could you see the worth and brilliance of this jewel if God's Spirit had not opened your eyes? You would gladly believe, and you mourn that you cannot believe. Are not these tears the beginnings of faith? You desire Christ, and you cannot be satisfied without Him. This beating of the pulse gives evidence that there is life. The iron could not move upward if the magnet did not draw it. The heart could not ascend in holy desires for God if some heavenly magnet had not been drawing it. Christian, can you say that sin is your burden and Christ is your delight? Can you say, as Peter once said, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. John 21.17 This is smoking flax, and the Lord will not quench it.
your grace shall flourish into glory. God will sooner extinguish the light of the sun than extinguish the dawning light of His Spirit in your heart. To Pursue His Duty There are two duties required of believers, love and labor. Love Will the Lord not quench the smoking flax, but make it at last victorious over all opposition? How the smoking flax should glow in love to God. O oh, love the Lord, all ye his saints. Psalm 31:23. The saints owe much to God, and when they have nothing to pay, it is hard if they cannot love him. O oh, you saints, it is God who carries on grace progressively in your souls. He is like a father who gives his son a small supply of money to begin with, and, when he has traded a little, he adds more to the supply. So God adds continually to your supply. He drops oil into the lamp of your grace every day, and so keeps the lamp burning. This may kindle your love to God, who will not let the work of grace fail, but will bring it to perfection. Smoking flax shall he not quench. How God's people should long for heaven when it will be their constant work to breathe forth love and sound forth praise. Labor Some people may think that if Christ will not quench the smoking flax, but will make it burn brighter to the height of glory, then we do not need to take any effort, but should allow God to bring about his own work on his own. Be careful of drawing such a bad conclusion from such good suppositions. What I have spoken is to encourage faith, not to indulge sloth. Do not think God will do our work for us while we sit still. As God will blow upon the spark of grace by His Spirit, so we must blow upon it by holy efforts. God will not bring us to heaven sleeping, but praying. The Lord told Paul that everyone in the ship would come safely to shore, but it had to be by the use of means. Except these abide in the ship, ye cannot be saved. Acts 27:31. In the same way, the saints will certainly arrive at salvation. They will come to shore at last but they must stay in the ship, in Christ, or else they cannot be saved. Christ assured his disciples, Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. John 10:28. Yet he still gave that counsel, Watch and pray, that ye enter not into temptation. Matthew 26:41. The seed of God will not die, but we must water it with our tears. The smoking flax will not be quenched, but we must blow upon it with the breath of our effort. The second comfort to the godly is that godliness promotes them to a close and glorious union with Jesus Christ, which I will discuss in the next chapter.